it's pretty easy, I think, to look at the disciples of Jesus and, I don't know, sort of give them a hard time. They don't always come across as being the ones who always have it together, do they? Particularly in the book of Mark. But in order to appreciate just how difficult it was for them to understand Jesus, I want to illustrate something to you. And I I, I hate using a a sports illustration two weeks in a row, but sometimes it works. And at first, uh, I was going to use an illustration regarding some team wearing blue and some other team wearing green. But God gave me a way out. There was this other team wearing burnt orange last night. It was so heartbreaking. Uh, if you watched it, I want you to remember, or if you've heard about it already, uh, Texas was down, I don't know, at least a couple touchdowns it seems like. And at the very end of the game, they made what seemed to be a game-tying touchdown. Right? Players on the sideline were going crazy. The, the, the people in the stands were going nuts. Everybody knew that we're going to go to overtime. We've got the momentum, and we're finally going to be able to pull this through after all these years of losing. Somebody told me to say that. So they made the touchdown, but as you all know, you football experts, touchdown is only worth... They were down... So the guy comes up to do the extra point, the extra one point, and he misses it. Now, when they made the touchdown, everybody went crazy, right? And we've seen this. We've come to expect this now. When somebody makes a great play, what do they do? They get excited. And and even those people who may have some kind of faith in God, we see them all the time. They make a great play. They they point to the sky and they seemingly give God credit or they or they they kneel in prayer or they do something to say, thank you, God. Now, how strange would it have been if I think the number was 22, if he got up there went for the field goal, it went wide right, everybody else is devastated, but he starts jumping up with joy. He starts pointing to the sky. He starts kneeling in prayer, giving thanks to God, and then makes a full stride into the stands to do a leap into the stands. How strange would that have been? Very strange. And if you can understand how strange that would have been, you can understand the difficulty the disciples had in understanding Jesus. You've got to remember, just a few weeks ago, we heard Peter's confession about who Jesus was. You remember those words? You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one of God. Right after that, we haven't read it yet, but Jesus took a few of his disciples. I know so many of you remember this story. He took them up a mountain and they had this wild experience where right before their eyes, they see Jesus transformed. So the disciples seem to have a good idea that this Jesus they've been following and listening to is something special. In particular, he is the anointed one of God. Sound good? Now, as the anointed one of God, their expectations of who and what Messiah would be were great. 
Their expectation was that Messiah would come in victory. Now, again, you and I sing songs, too, about victory. We expect our Savior to come in victory. We expect the Messiah to come in power. And so when Jesus starts talking about, well, I must be handed over. I must be given up into human hands. I must be killed. And then I'll rise again. When they heard that their Messiah wasn't coming in power or victory, it didn't sound right to them. And it's not that it just didn't seem odd to them. It didn't make sense at all because it was nothing like what they taught, what they thought their Messiah would be. So here's Jesus talking all this talk of defeat. Really what Jesus is doing is is saying is at one point it's going to look like I'm defeated. At one point it's going to look like they won. At one point, it's going to look like everything you have put your hope in is going to be gone. What the disciples seem to hear is that my Messiah is not coming in power or glory or victory, but he's coming in defeat. That doesn't compute at all. But what the disciples failed to understand was that Jesus came to advance his kingdom. Now, this kingdom that he has wasn't just a new kingdom and it wasn't just a kingdom that would be better than what they were already experiencing. The kingdom of God that Jesus so often spoke of was completely different than anything that they would have been able to imagine or recognize by themselves. Because what they would recognize would be power, might and victory. And what Jesus says is, I've come to die. Y'all with me? What Jesus was talking about, what happened, what would happen to him sounded like defeat. And so how do we know that the disciples had a hard time with that? Well, again, we remember Peter. We remember Peter rebuking Jesus. But now we can also get a glimpse at maybe some of the other disciples. They've already heard some of this talk from Jesus already, and now they're on their way. They're they're walking with Jesus. And I don't know, maybe Jesus is a little further up. And, you know, we tend to stay in our crowds with whom we're close to. Some of us like to sit up front. Some of us like to sit in the back, don't we? Wake up back there. The choir can see you. But as they're walking along, they get into a discussion. They get into a discussion, Mark tells us, about who is the greatest. Now, they weren't talking about football teams. That's an easy, that's an easy answer. They weren't talking about anything other than who was the greatest among themselves. Watch it, Nathan. Watch it. Who was the greatest among themselves? Was it John the Beloved? I think so. Or was it Peter? 
Was it Bartholomew? Was it James? Who was? And discussing, who do you think among us 12 would be the greatest? This is what they're talking about. And this is what I think Jesus is over here and thinking. They don't get it. Now, aren't you all glad that we get it? They don't get it. What is so ironic about this? Oh, you, you, if you don't believe me, open your Bible. Look up just just a, a story before the passage before. See, the disciples, they, they've been there with with Peter, as he said, oh, Jesus, you're the Messiah. Right after that, a few of them went up the mountain and experienced the transfiguration. When they came down from the mountain, what was waiting for them was a group of people who were mad at the other disciples. They were mad at the other disciples because they brought someone to be healed and the disciples couldn't heal the person that they brought. And so how ironic is it that the disciples have a shot to do some good Jesus work on their own, but they can't do it. In fact, it's when Jesus comes, he says, this can only be done through prayer. You couldn't do it by yourselves. You didn't know that. Right after that, they go and they begin to make their way to Capernaum. And what they argue about is who is the greatest among us. You don't get it. Why don't you get it? Because you think differently than I think. You think being great is about who you are. But I'm about to show you what I think being great means. And, and I don't know if this is exactly true, but I, I kind of see Jesus with his disciples. He's like, hey, what were you guys arguing about? Of course, they didn't say anything because that was Jesus' way of saying, I know what you were arguing about. Kind of like when Mama says, what did you do? Mama knew what you did. She just wanted to give you a chance to confess. Did you ever confess? You didn't need to, did you? What were you arguing about? In my mind, Jesus says, you know what? Stop. Come on. Let's all sit down where we are. And he takes a child. He takes a child. This is is strange if you think about it. Jesus seemingly goes from this talk about being the greatest. and And he automatically turns to this talk about welcoming. Well, welcoming. John, can I borrow you for a second, please? So let, let's just pretend, I'm going to have to pretend a lot, that John is a little kid, right? So come with me, little child. So Jesus tells his disciples, stop. Now, we're not going to do exactly what Jesus did because Jesus said he took the child and put him on his lap. So <laughs> use your imagination. But understand this. As Jesus stops with his disciples, he brings a little child amongst them. He sits the child on his lap. Already, before he says a word, he's already confusing the disciples. Not only has he already confused them about this talk about dying and being handed over into human hands and coming back, but now he's confused them because, see, this little child right here, oh, he's wearing a nice, pretty suit right now. And we think he's a nice guy, but if he's a child in the ancient world, not so much. Some of us grew up with the idea that children are to be and not 
Now, that sounds kind of to a lot of us today, but I think you can even go beyond that. In some cases, this child right here, he's expected to be seen, not heard. Yes, but not just because he's a child, because he's not even fully human yet. Y'all with me? So Jesus takes this not fully human being into his lap and says, now, you want to be great? Let me tell you how you be great. You welcome anybody like this. Thank you, John. You want to be great? You need to see if you'd be willing to serve and to welcome anybody like this child. James reminded me yesterday that Jesus doesn't ever seem to ask the question, well, what about me? For Jesus, he he never wants to know how this affects me. What he seems to want to know is, how is my life, how is your life going to affect that child or anybody like him? And what that is, friends, is a different way of thinking. That is a different way, a different mindset that we have. We have it maybe in a different way. But we have it just as much today as the disciples did all those years ago. It's a different way of thinking. James or Santiago, whichever one you want to call him, right? James recognizes this. He says there are, there are types of wisdom. There's wisdom that we tend to follow. And it's that wisdom that creates quarrels among us. We're fighting with each other because we don't know how to think like God. We're fighting with each other because because we're not thinking the way God wants us to think. We're thinking with worldly thinking. But James says there is godly wisdom. That's the wisdom that leads to life. That's the wisdom that leads us away from all this foolish quarreling so that we can see the power of God before us. Are y'all with me? And what I think Jesus is saying is you've got to learn to think like me. Now, the way I think is completely opposite of what you're used to thinking. But my kingdom is completely opposite of any kingdom you've ever seen before. You want to be a great person? You want to do great things with your life? You better welcome and serve that child. We want this church to be a great church, to do great things. Then we better serve and welcome that child. Anything less than that is following our own thinking and not the thinking of our Lord. Amen. So we should pray because. If this is the way we've been thinking for so long, it's hard to imagine thinking anything else. And so if you want to have the wisdom that comes from God, would you pray with me, please? Lord, we know that your kingdom brings life to us and life to your world. We know, God, that you offer to us abundance and and blessings that are that are straight from your grace. But, God, we have to confess to you that often we've been content to follow our own wisdom. Even though we know it's led us to places that are less than faithful. 
But today, God, we are willing to stand. We are willing to change our mind. But we need the help of your spirit. God, we want to think more like Christ. We want to have the same mind that was in Jesus. We want to be a church that thinks like you so that we can do the great things you have prepared for us. In Jesus' name, amen.